0: There we go. We have power. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Hey, so what is our theme for the year, church? Our theme is what? Church matters. Church matters. And since church matters, we need to be able to deal scripturally with matters within the church. Amen? So on Sunday mornings, we're looking at the book of 1 Corinthians, and what we're doing is going verse by verse because we need the whole counsel of God. And really, in this section, what we find is the Apostle Paul is holding basically a question and answer session with this church. We find, really, he lays this out in chapter 7 and verse number 1. He says, Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me. So this church had posed a number of questions to the Apostle Paul about matters within the church and Christian living. And so really over the next four plus chapters, Paul is going to be answering their questions regarding marriage in chapter 7, regarding meat or matters of Christian liberty in chapter 8, and then in 9 and uh, really 10 and really 11 and 12, Paul is also going to be dealing with matters of ministry. And so he is dealing with their questions. I think that's important for us to understand because as we go through these things, Paul is not dealing with every possible situation. In fact, chapter 7 is not a comprehensive theology on all God has to say about marriage. Instead, Paul is answering their questions and laying down some principles that can be helpful for you and I. When you think about that, church, we ought to be glad. Hey, God can handle your questions. God's not scared of the hard things. God's not up in heaven saying, Boy, you know, I really hope that Jack Foster doesn't ask about. I really hope that Barry Halstead doesn't see that verse because I'm not sure what I'd tell him about that. Boy, I can't believe Pete Barry did that. I don't know how I'm going to take him anywhere from here. I hope he doesn't ask me about that. God's not up in heaven fearful about the hard things. God is not scared of our questions. Now, what we find, though, in life is sin has made a lot of things hard and complicated. Amen? But God is bigger than our confusion. And the reality is when you and I come to the Lord with, with open eyes and ears and humble hearts, the reality is we can always find principles and precepts that help us walk wisely in a God-honoring way love what the psalmist said, Psalm 119, 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, except, wait a minute, there is no caveat there. Hmm. So no matter where I find my feet, God's word can be a lamp and a light unto them. Isn't that good, church? Isn't that good? My case isn't too hard for God. Now the reality is I might not always like what I find in God's Word. I might not always understand God's reasoning behind it, but hey, isn't that the essence of faith? The essence of faith is I believe God, and so I'm going to choose to trust and obey anyways. Why? Because this book is our standard. Not culture, not modern science, not feeling, not even the preacher. This book is our standard. Boy, I just praise God, the matter where we find ourselves, we can have absolute confidence that there is a God-honoring, righteous way that I can live this life according to God's word. And here in chapter 7, Paul is dealing specifically with relationship and different relationship statuses that Christians found themselves in. It's important because, you know, when we boil life down to its irreducible minimum, life is relationships. It's our relationship with God and it's our relationships with others. And when it comes to relationships here on this earth, there are no more powerful or pertinent relationships than those of marriage and family. If we marry, who we marry, when we marry, these are the stuff that that life is made of. And they are big issues that relate to the deepest parts of our lives. But sin in around us can make even these things complicated. But they don't have to be. And so today we're going to finish out 1 Corinthians 7. And we're going to find a few more principles on how to honor God as we navigate our relationship statuses. So let's look. 1 Corinthians 7. We'll begin in verse number 17. The Bible says, But if God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called everyone, every one, so let them walk, and so I ordain in all churches. Is any man called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is any called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but the keeping of the commandments of God. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he is called. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it. But if thou mayest be free, use it rather. For he that is called... In the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's free man. Likewise, also he that is called being free is Christ's servant. Ye are bought with a price... Be not ye the servants of men. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called, therein abide with God. And so as we consider relationships and relationship statuses this morning, Paul's going to give us some principles. The first principle we got to see this morning is the source of our contentment. The source of our contentment. In other words, Paul lays out here in these verses, your circumstances are tied to God's calling. Did you notice how many times in this uh, passage he used the word call or called or calling? Really, if you back up a little bit, in eight different places, we find that the circumstances of our lives are tied to the calling of God. Now, the direct context here is the marriage status. But Paul makes it clear that this goes well beyond marriage. He he refers to ethnicity, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. He refers to economics, whether you're a free man or a servant. He, He refers to our overall experience in life. The circumstances of our life are a part of God's calling on us. Can I make it simple? God did not make a mistake when he made you to be you. God did not make a mistake when he placed you where you are. Whether in this case he mentions you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you're a rich man or a poor man, you're a free man or a servant, God didn't make a mistake when he made you you and placed you in the situation he placed you in. Your family's not a mistake. Your ethnicity's not a mistake. Your economic status is not a mistake. Your nationality's not a mistake. God didn't make a mistake. All of that God has framed as a part of the call He has given on your life. And Paul makes it clear that one station is not better than another, just different. Paul said if you're a servant, guess what? You are God's free man. And if you're a free man, guess what? You're God's slave. And so one station is not better than another. It's just different. And God made us different on purpose. We are different by design. Now, why would God do that? God made us different by design, primarily so that the light of the gospel might shine in every facet of society. Can you imagine if we were all the same? Well, then God's light would be pretty confined to a small area. But we're not the same. We live in different neighborhoods, we work in different jobs. We have different skills. We have different hobbies. We have different places. Some of us speak different languages. Guess what? It's all by design that God's light might shine through you exactly where he has called you to be. That's a beautiful thing. Praise God. Praise God for that. No station is morally better. It's just different. You know, in reality, like we said, in Christ, all earthly measures are gone. We talked about verse 22. If you're a servant, you're really free. If you're free, you're really a servant. All of these are broken down in Christ. Galatians 3 and verse 28 gives us a a beautiful picture of this. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ. In Christ, we are equally forgiven. In Christ, we are equally free. But boy, in Christ, we have to realize we are purposefully different. You know, sometimes the great temptation of life is to think that what they have on the other side of the fence will meet your needs better than what God has given you. You know, if I just had, perhaps the singles would think, if I just had a spouse, life would be so much better. Perhaps married were like, perhaps if I didn't have a spouse... Nobody say amen. (laughs) Perhaps if I had their money, perhaps if I had their kids, perhaps if I had their job or their position, man, in the great temptation of life to think that that what God has given somebody else, what what lies on the other side of the fence might complete us and be better for us than what God has given you. But man, this disease of discontentment is an oft-overlooked ailment. But it is a devastating disorder because it robs us of joy and peace in what we have. You know what we need, church? Not to be in a different place. Not to have a different provision. What we need is a different, different perspective. Amen. That's good. So often we focus on the negatives. And so we miss the God-glorifying ministry potential inherent in our callings. Our differences are different by design. And so we find here the principle of divine placement and divine provision, even in relationships and marriage. The principle of divine placement is God has providentially formed the fundamental details of your life. If you're married, it's because God has providentially brought that person into your life. That God has brought you together. Just as God brought Eve to Adam, so God brings us together. I say it's only, uh, only by God's grace uh, that the boy from Virginia and the girl from Michigan can meet in Florida. And now we live in Ohio. It's whatever. Who knew? But that's the work of God. And so this morning, if you're, if you're with your person, that's God's divine providence in your life. This morning, if you are single, that's also God's divine providence in your life. God providentially formed the fundamental details of your life. God is providentially working through the functional details of your life. God is at work in the details of our life. We can be sure that God has placed us where he has placed us because God has a plan for us in this place. So we find the divine placement. We also find the principle of divine provision. That God knows where you are and God knows what you need and He is always enough. I love what Paul said in Philippians 4 beginning in verse number 11. Paul said, not that I speak in respect of what? He said, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know how both, how to be abased and how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed to be full and to be hungry, to abound and to suffer need. Uh, in our context today, we can add to be, to be married and to be unmarried. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. You know, this morning... You may find it tough being unmarried this morning. You may find it tough being married. But the reality is we have to stop and look at the source of our contentment because you and I are not at the mercy of our situation. We are at the mercy of our loving Savior. He is enough. And so we need to choose to be content. And contentment is essentially accepting from God's hand what he sends because we know that he is good and therefore it will be for our good. And so contentment moves us to draw on something deeper than our circumstances and that enables us to choose to abide contently where God has placed you. Now can I point out here... This does not mean, especially if you're single, that you can't look and pray. Do we have any single people in the house this morning? I am going to meddle a little. Edgar, put your hand down. Come on. If you're unmarried this morning, put your hand up. I'll pick on the married people in a minute. If you're unmarried this morning, put it. Larry, come on, man. I think somebody needs to send Larry back to jail. (laughs) We have some unmarried people in the house this morning. It's it's God's gift to you. Hey, do we have some married people in the house this morning? That's God's gift to you. Hey, what are those unmarried people? Unmarried people. Leave it up if you want to get married. All right, quick, look around. All right. So Paul is not teaching that you can't look and you can't pray. But what Paul is saying is you shouldn't look for that person to complete you. Be content in Christ. The calling God has given you. Go back to verse number 7 of this chapter. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse number 7. Look how Paul addresses it. He said, but it's at verse number 7. He had it up there. For I would that all men were even as myself. But every man has his proper, what's that word? Gift. Every man has his proper gift. Whatever gift you have received from God, be content in Christ. So what do we see? Our relationship status. How do we navigate this? We see the source of our contentment. What we need, church, is not a change of position. It's not a change of provision. We need a change of perspective. I don't need a person or I don't need to get away from a person. I just need to get closer to Christ. He's enough. So we see the source of our contentment. But I want you to see what else Paul says. Let's pick back up in verse number 25. He says, now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord. Meaning, the Lord Jesus did not specifically speak to this subject while he was on earth. Paul says, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment as one that hath obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. So what Paul is saying here is not that "Eh, I'm going to shoot from the hip and give you my own opinion. Paul is saying that Jesus did not specifically address this while he was on earth, but that's okay because God has entrusted to me, Paul says at the end of that verse, he says, as one that has obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. In other words, that word faithful has the idea of trustworthy. Paul says, I am a trustworthy witness of the Lord. And so now Paul is going to render his judgment as a trustworthy witness of the Lord. And in fact, if you go to the end of this chapter, he he mentions again as well, after my judgment, verse 40, and I think also that I have the Spirit of God. So Paul is simply saying, no, Jesus did not speak on this, but I as his minister, I as his trustworthy, faithful apostle, I am going to address this now. So look what he has to say. He says, now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment as one that obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. I suppose, therefore, that this is good for the present distress. I say that it is good uh, for a man to be so. He said, art thou bound to a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. But, and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. But this I say, brethren, that the time is short. It remaineth both that they that have wives be as though they had none, and they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoice not, and they that buy as though they possess not, and they that use this world is not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. But I would have you without carefulness, he that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. There, also, there, there is difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be both holy in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, and that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. There's a lot there, amen? So we see, first of all, as we kind of look at our relationship status, what are some principles that can help us? Number one, we saw what? The source of our contentment. The source of our contentment. Secondly, this morning, I want you to see this, the singleness of our concern, the singleness of our concern. So Paul, in this passage, he is going to return to speaking to the unmarried as he further discusses the challenges of living in a sin-cursed world. So again, we've got the question and answer session, uh, verse 25, now concerning virgins. So apparently this was directly in response to a question he had been asked. Perhaps the question was, should or must the unmarried get married? Perhaps that was it. Particularly, maybe the question, a specific question, was even in regards to ladies who had never been married. The word there, virgin, is in the feminine, speaking of uh, ladies, though it can uh, refer to a person of either gender. The question seems to be specifically about ladies who have never been married and regarding the coming persecution that Christians would face. As we go through this section, I want us to see that Paul is going to give some principles that transcend the immediate circumstances that can apply to both genders and all people. In essence, what we see here is a little bit of a premarital counseling session. And Paul deals with some things in a very serious light. Paul is sharing his heart. Paul is sharing his experience. We do know that at this point Paul is unmarried. Whether Paul was never married or Paul was a widower, we're not sure. But Paul is sharing his heart and his experience under the inspiration of the Spirit. So the principle we see here in essence is this. It is fine or advantageous for one to remain unmarried. Paul says, especially in light of the coming distress... I believe that to be the coming persecution uh, that these people would face. But Paul says this, uh, Though it is fine or advantageous to remain unmarried, we are commanded to abide in our own gift. If you're married, if you are bound to a wife, seek not to be loosed. Paul is clear as he begins to uh, describe and delineate these things that both the married and the unmarried have their own varied sets of pros and cons. But there's a section here in the middle that I think is so important. Though married people have pros and cons and unmarried people have pros and cons, all Christian people should share the same singular heavenly concerns. And that is Christ first. He said, but this I say, verse 29, brethren, time is short, and it remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none, and they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoice not, and they that buy as though they possess not. And Paul goes on and on and on. So what do we see? In marriage, what is it? For all believers, Christ first. If I'm single, it's Christ first. If I'm married, what is it? It is Christ first. Christ first. In my marriage or in my unmarriage, Christ first. In my moods, Christ first. Whether I weep, whether I rejoice, it's Christ first. My money, mm, Christ first. They that bought by as though they possess not. And they that use this world is not abusing it. Why? Because the fashion of this world passeth away. In every matter for the believer, Christ first. And Paul's point is this. Simply time is short and Jesus is worthy. Christ first. All of life for the believer boils down to this. Simply Jesus first. So much so that later in this book, Paul goes so far as to say in First Corinthians 10 and verse 31 that whether we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, we need to do it all how? Do it all to the glory of God. So if I'm single, Christ first. If I'm married, Christ first. If I'm happy, Christ first. If I'm sad, Christ first. Whether I have a lot, Christ first. Whether I don't have a lot, Christ first. That is the simplicity of the Christian life. It is a singleness of concern in all things. Christ first. And Paul develops in this section, herein lies some of the great advantages to being single. Now, as Paul goes through all of these advantages he prefaces it with don't consider leaving your spouse the advantages of being single do not do not give you leave to leave your spouse Remember Jesus said in Matthew 9 and 19 in verse number 9. He said, I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her which put away, doth commit adultery. We know what is God's intent for marriage. It's one man, one woman, one lifetime. So don't consider leaving your spouse. But also don't consider marriage a sin. Marriage is wonderful. wonderful. And Scripture well documents many of the advantages of being married. God Himself said in Genesis 2 and verse number 18, It is not good that man should be alone. But Paul in this section, he is going to delineate that there are some definite advantages to being unmarried. As we get into verses 32 through 35, we see this. We see that married people are bound And no married person said amen. That's good. (laughs) But we're one flesh. We are bound to one another. Married people are bound. What else do we find about marriage? We find that married people are burdened. In other words, I as a husband, I am burdened regarding the things of this world because I have a responsibility to care for my wife and kids. And my wife is burdened for the things of this world because she has a responsibility to care for her husband and her family. And so, married people are bound. Married people are burdened. Married people bear multiplied troubles. Think about it this way the struggles that you go through are compounded when you're married because it's not just my struggles, it's her struggles. When she struggles, I struggle. When she hurts, I hurt. And so we have compounded struggles. Hey, better yet, we have compounded sin natures. I love how the one preacher described it. Being married is kind of like porcupines trying to snuggle. (laughs) We really want the warmth of one another. But it's tough because we each bring our own fine points to the relationship. (laughs) So married people are bound. Married people are burdened. And rightfully so. Married people bear multiplied troubles. But you know marriage is a blessing. Amen. I honestly for me. It's, singleness is not my gift. I could not do what I do. But for my wife and my family. If I didn't have the home that I had. Then, then I could not be what I am. And do what I do. And I know most of us recognize that to be a truth. There is incredible strength and encouragement that comes in marriage, where two become one. But you know, there's a natural dividedness that comes in marriage too, where we feel the tension between the Lord and our spouse, between the cares of the Lord and the cares of this world. I, I, gave, a, I gave a similar illustration of a while ago, and uh, uh, I, I think it was a Sunday night or a Wednesday night, and uh, what we did, I think we had Mr. Bentley up here, we had Mr. Bentley up here, oh, let's do it again, he's not here today, they're on vacation this week, I need a volunteer, Dre, you want to help me out, you look down, as soon as, soon as I looked out, you looked down, come on up, bud, come on up, Eric, I'm going to get your help, all right, and uh, let's see here, uh, Jack Foster, I'm going to get your help, all right. So one day, here, come on up, face everybody. They're a good-looking group, aren't they? All right, that's good, that's good. So one day, Dre, it just may be God's gift to you that you get married. Maybe he's got that lady out there right now. He's preparing her just like he's preparing you. All right? Certainly pray that way. It would be a good thing. But right now, you just went to camp, right? And you know what you felt? Here. Here. Eric, grab his arm. You felt the Lord tugging at you all week at camp, right? They talked about walking with God. What did you feel? You felt the Lord tugging at you, right? They they, they, they talked about, you know, walking, walking in the light and being right, and not not allowing sin to take over your life. And what did you feel? You felt the Lord tugging at you. Maybe they talked to you about really giving your life to serve the Lord. And what did you feel? You really felt the Lord tugging at you. And, And, you know, as the Lord tugged at you, what else did you really have to consider? I mean, yeah, tug away, Lord, tug away. And there wasn't a whole lot else, right? You weren't like, boy, I'm not sure how my algebra class is going to fit into this. <laughs> Didn't really have to worry about that, did you? I mean, in that moment, all you had to worry about is what the Lord was tugging at your heart for, right? That's a wonderful thing. Jack, I'm going to do something a little bit different, all right? All right. I'm gonna sit you down. Would you come up, Mrs. Neeson? Because I need a I need a lady here to represent the lady God has for him. I didn't want Jack to represent his wife. That would be an aw- I just didn't think that would be a good fit. All right. Why'd you stop talking to him, Lord? Keep talking. So like Dre, in this season, as a single man, you don't have anything else to worry about. Lord, what do you have? Lord, where are we going? Lord, what are we doing? But you know, one day you're gonna stand maybe right here. And you're going to look a lady in the eye and you're going to say, I do. And she's going to say, me too. <laughs> and you're going to be husband and wife. And now all of a sudden, go ahead. You know, the Lord's going to say, "Dray, we're going to. And, and, and you're going to feel a responsibility for your home and your family. That's right. And you're going to get pulled this way. And the Lord will pull this way. <laughs> Preach on, sister. Preach on. Amen. And what's going to happen, whether you're a married man or a married woman, what do you feel? You feel the tug of the Lord and you feel the tug of this world because, because there is a natural division. And when the Bible says careth for, it has the idea of anxious, which literally means to be pulled apart in different directions. Does that make sense, church? There is a natural division. Thank you, guys. You may be seated. Thank you, Dre, for helping. Thank you, guys. So there is a natural division that takes place when we are a a married man or a married woman because I, I cannot give my life as undivided as I once did. But you know, if you're single, if you're unmarried, you can far more easily and naturally develop and maintain a singular focus. You know what unmarried people can do? Unmarried people can naturally engage in selfless, spontaneous service for God. When an opportunity comes up for me to serve the Lord, you know what I often, I often say? Honey, what does our schedule look like on this night? Are we available? Brother Mark, I'm going to be speaking in RU. Brother Mark's asked me to speak in RU in a couple of weeks. So I said, okay, Brother Mark, I need to go. Honey, what Friday nights do we have available in the foreseeable future? Why? Because it's not just me anymore. But if you're single, it, it just, it's so natural for you to be able to engage in spontaneous, selfless acts of service to the Lord. Boy, and that's an advantage. That is a beautiful advantage. The unmarried can more naturally engage in selfless, spontaneous acts of service. This is a gift. And if you are unmarried here today, embrace that gift. The single can be single-minded and maximize themselves for the glory of God. This is the young unmarried and the older unmarried alike. So what do we find? How do we navigate the complexity of relationship statuses? We find first what we find the source of our the source of our contentment. What is it? The source of our contentment? Christ is enough. Amen. Whatever gift He's given you, walk in that gift, enjoy that gift, embrace that gift. Christ is enough, the source of our contentment. Secondly, we see what the singleness of our In all things, what is it? It is Christ first. I want you to see how Paul closes out this chapter. We've covered a lot of ground. You have listened so well. The Bible says this, But if any man think that he behaveth himself uncomely towards his virgin, if she pass the flower of her age and need so require, let them do what he will. He sinneth not. Let them marry. Nevertheless, he standeth steadfast in his heart, having no necessity Uh, but hath power over his own will, and hath so decreed in his heart that he will keep his virgin doeth well. So that he that giveth her in marriage doeth well, but he that giveth her not in marriage doeth better. Meaning it's more advantageous. There is an advantage to being single. Paul has laid this out from the beginning to the end of the chapter. Verse 39, the wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she... And that's not an invitation, ladies, okay? It's not an invitation. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she so abide after my judgment. And I think also that I have the Spirit of God. So we see the source of our contentment. We see the singleness of our concern. Finally, I want you to see Paul concludes this chapter by pointing out the seriousness of our choices. The seriousness of our choices. Paul ends this section by addressing several scenarios of unmarried people considering marriage. So really, I think, uh, as he talks about the virgins beginning in verse 25, really through the end of the chapter, he's dealing with a situation where fathers, of course, in that day had control over their unmarried daughters. Who they got married to, when they got married. And so, Paul was really addressing this aspect of fathers who were considering marrying off their daughters. We, we really don't operate like that in our culture or our country anymore, uh, but that's kind of the situation that is at hand. And so, we have the situation of a father and daughter, or uh, we also have the situation come up again of the unmarried widows and you know as Paul wraps this thing out there's a lot to consider you know when it comes to marriage there's a lot of cultural pressure even in today's age there's a lot of cultural pressure to be married a lot of things in life are geared towards the married a lot of cultural pressure but you know cultural pressure isn't necessarily a good reason to get married There's a lot to consider timing. You know, Paul here discreetly says, um, if she passed the flower of her age, simply means uh, she's not getting any younger. And that's the idea. She's not getting any younger. That perhaps this daughter is in danger of becoming an unclaimed blessing. But you know, the fact that you're not getting any younger is not necessarily a good reason to get married. We've got, uh, uh, we've got cultural pressure. We've got time, and We've got complications. He, he speaks of the widows and the complications of life with the loss of a spouse. He, he's talked about our calling. He's talked about pros and cons. There are a lot of things to consider. And you know, some of these are not moral issues per se. But all of these are spiritual issues. All of these are spiritual issues. And as we consider these things... I love how Paul especially put it to the widows here. He said, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will. Did you notice those last four words of verse number 39? Only in the Lord. And so the condition to marry is only in the Lord. Can I say here, believers should only consider marrying someone who is saved and who is living a sanctified life. And I do include both on purpose. Believers should only consider marrying someone who is saved and living a sanctified life. Why? Because we are only to connect our lives to those who are going to help us seek and serve Christ. Remember, whether we're married or unmarried, what what is the concern? What is the chief concern? It is Christ first. And so believers should only consider marrying those who are saved and living a sanctified life. Let me give you a very simple point of application. If you are a child of God... You should never date someone you wouldn't marry. You should never date someone you wouldn't marry. And you're not going to marry them according to the Bible unless they're saved and living a sanctified life. We don't date people to change them. Well, he says he believes in God now. About a nickel for every time I heard that. Maybe he believes in God because he wants to hang out with you. Don't date someone you wouldn't marry. Can I give you another point of application here, considering the seriousness of our choices? Not just don't date someone you wouldn't marry. If they're not saved, don't date them. If they're not growing in Christ, don't date them. Period. Give you another point of application don't date someone unless you are someone who someone should marry. There are a lot of people out there, you're not grounded. You don't know which way is up, which way is down. You're not seeking the Lord. You've got sin in your life you're not willing to address. Can I tell you? If that's you, you have no business dating someone. None. Because you are not someone that someone should biblically marry. And So don't date someone you wouldn't marry. Don't date someone unless you are someone that someone else should marry. The conditions here are only in the Lord and only for the glory of the Lord. Why? These are spiritual issues and these are serious issues. Because Paul points out here throughout this whole chapter, and especially here at the end, whether you're married or not married, none of this is casual. Whether you're married or not married, none of this is self serving. The standards are intentionally high. We only marry in the Lord. And then once we marry in the Lord verse 39 it is until death do us part. That sounds like a prison. That's what the disciples thought. You remember in Matthew 19 we looked at verse number 9 earlier where where Jesus said you you can't God designed until death do you part you shouldn't get divorced it, Verse number 10, or the very next verse, in regards to what Jesus said about divorce, the disciples said unto him, Boy, if the case of a man be so with his wife, it is good not to marry. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, the standards are not high because God wants it to be a prison. The standards are high because God wants it to be a safe fortress. And the application here is don't play around with this. In matters of relationship, our culture treats these things so casually, but Christians should not. Don't play with this. If you're not old enough to get married, guess what you shouldn't be doing? Dating. Because it's not a game. It's not something we play with. It's not something we just, we just have a good time with. It, this, that's not what this is for. These are serious choices of a spiritual nature. And moms and dads, I, I know that's probably a very, very difficult thing to try to navigate. When my young person should start dating and how they should date and all of these things. But I'm going to tell you, I, as a pastor, this is my pastoral counsel. I claim no inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I am not the Apostle Paul. I am not the Lord Jesus. But as I look at the seriousness of this matter in Scripture, and I look at how casually our culture treats this, moms and dads, I don't think we should allow our kids to seriously uh, date somebody until they are seriously ready for marriage. Why would we play around with this? If you are too young to marry, then you shouldn't be playing around with dating. Can I go on the other end of it? If you are old enough to marry, you also shouldn't be playing around with dating. Sometimes... In our culture, the average age of people getting married is getting pushed back and back and back and back into the late 20s and even the 30s at this point. Why? Because people just want to have fun and their extended youth. Boy, our culture treats it pretty casually. But Jesus does not. And if you are old enough to be married, then you should not be playing around with dating. me give you one other one. If you are old enough to marry and you believe you know whom the Lord would have you marry, don't play around with dating. I I don't understand. We have adult Christian couples who who are going to be engaged for two or three years. That is about the most unwise thing I have ever heard of in my life. Why? Well, no, there there is no good biblical reason for that. Because you're not, either you're not old enough to do it, and you shouldn't be doing it, or you are old enough to do it, and you just, if God has called you to that gift, and God has brought that gift to you, then you should get married. It's my pastoral counsel. Now I'm going to get back to... Biblical counsel, all right? I think that's biblical, but inspired counsel. These are serious matters, amen? Amen. Can I say this? I said a lot to the unmarried, as Paul did today, but I'm going to say this. If you are married, you also shouldn't be playing games. Why do we play games with our spouse? We shouldn't. Hot, cold, up, down, all around. Why? Why? If you're married, you shouldn't play games with your spouse. I, it's, it's amazing what, what Peter says to husbands, First Peter chapter three and verse number seven. He says, "Likewise ye husbands dwell with them, speaking of our wives according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as the weaker vessel, and, and being heirs together of the grace of life." Why? He says that your prayers be not hindered. You play games with your spouse. I'm going to tell you, it will directly affect your relationship with God. These are serious, serious matters. This morning, we're considering our relationship status. Church, if there's one thing I want you to take away from 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is this praise the Lord, it doesn't have to be complicated. What do we find? We find number one, we find what? We find the source of our. Contentment. In other words, relax. However God has made you, however God has placed you, however God has gifted you, relax and walk in the gift He has given you. Christ is enough. We see, secondly, not only the source of our contentment, but the singleness of our concern. Whether we're married or unmarried, rich or poor, whatever it is, hey, our chief concern is Christ first. So if contentment means just relax, this one means we need to reorient. And no matter where we find ourselves, I need to make sure my heart is oriented to Christ first. And the last thing we see what is the seriousness of our choices. In other words, as we do this, hey, rejoice. God is faithful. God will give wisdom. God will give provision. God will give grace. As we close this morning, I want to mention this. If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I said it at the outset, life is essentially relationships. And there is no more important relationship than your personal relationship with God. You see, the Bible is very clear that our sin separates us from God. But that God loved us so much that since we couldn't get to Him, He came to us. The Bible is clear that that since the wage, the consequence, the penalty of my sin is death, He died on a cross that I might have His life. The Bible is clear that God loves me so much that He made this gift available to whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. I want to encourage you here this morning. I know we talked about marriage and relationships, but there is no more important relationship than your relationship with God. And you're not right with God simply because you're in church this morning. You're not right with God because you got baptized one day. You're not right with God because you're a good person. You're not right with God because your grandma uh, read you the Bible when you were a little boy or a girl. You're not right with God for any other reason than through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you, if you don't know where you stand with God, in just a moment we're going to have a time of invitation where you are invited to respond to God. I want to invite you to get my attention. We'll have somebody take God's word and show you how you can receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And so you can know for sure where you stand with God before the day comes where you have to stand before Him. And no more important relationship than that. And to the rest of us, hey, walk in the gift God has given you, it's a gift. It's a calling. Walk in it. Make the most of the gift God has given you. If you're married, I can't think of a better thing than the husband maybe to grab the wife's hand. And whether you pray there in your pew or you come to the altar, spend some time today just thanking God for the gift that He has given you. If you're single, find a place and just thank God for the gift and the calling God has given you. If you're single and you believe God one day has the gift of marriage, find a place and pray for that person that God's preparing to bring. But whatever your gift, let's take some time, thank God, and ask for His grace and wisdom to walk in and make the most of the gift He has given us.